Peace be with you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dodds. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It's wonderful to be with you on the Lord's Day. Always wonderful to be with you on the Lord's Day. Today, um, as, uh, as Matt just read, we'll be beginning a new series through Paul's letter to the Philippians. So Paul wrote this letter from prison. But despite that fact, it's overflowing with Christian joy. And as we'll see, joy in the midst of suffering is one of the key themes of this letter. And I believe it will be one of our key points of emphasis over the next eight weeks. But let's begin with uh, some historical context. In the year 44 BC, two Roman senators named Brutus and Cassius led a conspiracy to assassinate Julius Caesar. And the assassination sparked a civil war. But two years later, Brutus and Cassius were defeated in battle by Octavian and Mark Antony. And this battle took place in the plains surrounding the city of Philippi. Following his victory, Octavian honored the city of Philippi by making it a Roman colony. And that meant that the citizens of Philippi were granted Roman citizenship. This was, this was a huge deal that would have come with a, with a host of special privileges. To boot, Octavian also populated Philippi with decorated war veterans. And all this meant that Philippi was thoroughly Roman and deeply indebted to the Roman emperor. It was, it was a powerful and influential city due in part, in, in large part, to the generosity of the empire. Now, some, some 90 years later, another Roman citizen arrived in Philippi. His name was Paul the Apostle. And he had traveled to Philippi because his king had also been assassinated, crucified, in fact. But unlike Julius Caesar, King Jesus had risen from the grave and ascended to a throne above all thrones, And so Paul had come to Philippi with very good news, but it was was news that would certainly have provoked a city of people who were already very loyal to the empire. Whereas Octavian had come to avenge the death of Caesar, Paul had come to proclaim the living lordship of the Caesar of Caesars. Whereas Octavian had come to offer Roman citizenship to the people of Philippi, Paul had come to offer them citizenship within the kingdom of heaven. And whereas Octavian had come to defeat his enemies in battle, Paul began his time in Philippi by meeting with a group of women who had gone down to the river to pray. And we read about that in Acts 16. Let's take a look at that. It says this, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed... There was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay 
and she prevailed upon us. This is how, this is so crazy, this is how the church in Philippi was planted. There was already a group of God-fearing women who would gather together to pray on the Sabbath. And so all Paul had to do was travel to Philippi, find these women, and tell them the good news of the gospel. The Messiah you have been praying for has come. He came. He lived. He died. He rose. He is now ascended. He is king. And from there, according to Acts 16, Paul then delivered and recruited a possessed slave girl. He got arrested for it. He sang a hymn in his jail cell, which sparked a literal earthquake. He preached the gospel and then baptized his prison guard and his whole household. It's a busy day. (laughs) And so Lydia, her praying friends, her household, a slave girl, a prison guard, and his household, these were the founding members of the church in Philippi. I think it's easy to see that the Philippian church was born through joy in the midst of suffering. And again, as we'll see throughout this letter, Paul is calling the Philippian church back to its roots, back to joy in the midst of suffering. And so Paul begins his letter like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. The word there for servants is bond slaves. They they have a king in which they are enslaved to. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a a normal Pauline greeting, but it's one of the most tender openings of any of Paul's letters. Paul was, was likely writing this letter in the early 60s, and by this time it would have been about a dozen years or more since he first visited Philippi. And he addresses the saints, translated as the holy ones, in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Overseers and deacons, that it really suggests that by this point, Philippi has really grown up. This church has, it has a more developed structure by this point. And the grace and peace that he offers, gosh, that's so big. Because we shouldn't move past that too quickly. Because the grace and peace that he offers shouldn't be read as just a a pleasant salutation. The grace is the grace that God has shown in the gospel of his son. It's It's the grace of adoption as sons and daughters. It's the grace of forgiveness. And the peace is the peace that is birthed out of that grace. Peace and reconciliation with God the Father through Christ the Son, and therefore peace with one another. Peace vertically, peace horizontally. It should make us think a little bit more more deeply about, about our experience in the gathering when we share the peace and grace of Christ. When we share the peace of Christ together, as we did just a few moments ago, we are not simply saying, good morning, or great to see you, or 
I don't believe we've met before. Though we, we may say those things, we, we should say those things. We are saying, in the peace of Christ, no matter what we're facing, everything has been reconciled to Christ, and that includes us. Let us celebrate that right now. The grace and peace of Christ be with you and also with you. Praise be to God. In that way, passing the peace is not a break from worship. It's an, it's an act of worship. It prepares us. It prepares us for suffering. It girds us up for suffering. It, it, it sustains us in suffering. I mean, just think about the order of the gathering. That peace of Christ, it actually prepares us to sit under God's word in the sermon. We're being taught by a God with whom we have peace. We are sitting with brothers and sisters with whom we share peace and grace. It also prepares us to eat together. It's very difficult to eat at a table with people with whom you're at odds with or a God whom with your head odds with. Those are tense meals. Oh no, but the peace of Christ prepares us for the table. It cheers us in our grief. And it may even remind us of where we need to be reconciled with a brother or sister with whom we are at odds. Let's keep reading. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, wow, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Gosh, what love. What thankfulness. What joy. And Paul's in prison we have to, it's like we have to keep reminding ourselves that Paul is in prison. Imagine him writing this in prison with this joy and gratitude and love in the face of his own suffering. It's these things, gratitude, joy, love for others and for the Lord. It's what comes forth. I cherish every instance that the Lord brings you to mind and I pray for you with joy because you have partnered with me in the gospel from the very beginning. Imagine Lydia and that slave girl and that jailer in his households reading this. From the very beginning, we partnered. See, as Paul sees it, he and the saints of Philippi have shared nearly everything together whether in prison or not, present with each other or not, they have partaken together in grace and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In other words, they, ha they have shared in receiving the gift of God in Christ in their respective sufferings, and they have been partners in the mission of Christ that by Paul's 
reckoning, they are all laboring in together. Now, Paul is on the front lines. He's preaching the gospel in contested areas. The Philippians are not in prison, but they are participating just as much in this ministry by supporting Paul in his ministry. And even though their respective contributions are not identical, Paul credits theirs as gospel-spreading work, not lesser than his own. We must believe this too, sojourn, that the suffering we experience in our Christian calling is sharing in God's grace and in the confirmation of the gospel, of the gospel itself, which prospers in us and through us as God has granted to us to be partakers in kingdom mission. Oh, there's so much affection from Paul here. Yearning for them, holding them in his heart, having the affection of Christ for them. It's, we get this sense of this mutual indwelling that, that Jesus prayed for in John 17. I and the Father and you and me and the Father and you. And It's like Paul is experiencing that mutual indwelling by God's Spirit of dwelling in and with other brothers and sisters. You're you're a part of me. It reminds me of also of Psalm 16. The psalmist remarks, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Paul is suffering in prison and he says, my delight is in the Lord and my delight is in you. Brothers and sisters, I carry you in my very self. You are here with me in the midst of my suffering. My joy is you. For some of us, maybe many of us, this this level of affection for others is a challenge. But as Paul describes here, it is a spirit-born Christ-cultivated affection. To to talk about it more personally, let's, let's do this. Where might we say such things to one another? Amidst suffering, where have you been awakened to your affections for fellow saints and said something, opened your mouth and expressed affection and joy and gratitude for them. Where are you remembering fellow saints and and praying for them with joy? Where where in your suffering does actually the thought or the remembrance of, of another saint actually cheer your soul? Oh, Lord, thank you for this person. They are my joy. In the middle of difficulty, where and how are we delighting in our shared partaking of God's grace? Oh, I think we should be doing it during the passing of the peace, for sure. There should be greeting and love, and can you believe it? 
we share in the peace and grace of Jesus Christ right now. It's ours. In a season of suffering, where might you be able to say to a fellow saint, I take such joy in you. I'm so grateful for all that we share in Christ. My heart is yours. Perhaps if we really listen, if we, if we really listen, we might even hear the Father saying that to us. I take such joy in you. I'm so grateful to share everything in my son with you. My heart is yours. Sounds like a father to me. Something else, something else that Paul is sure of, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is incredible news for anyone who suffers, for anyone who waits for anyone who longs or hopes or worries. (laughs) God promises to complete every work that he begins. I'm sure that some of us feel this or know this on a very personal level. Perhaps you're waiting on a friend or a spouse or, or a coworker to mature in some particular way, for them to grow in some particular way. Maybe you've become impatient with yourself in regards to your own growth. Or maybe when you look at the state of the church, you just see sin, brokenness, fallout, division, What I can tell you here is Paul isn't saying, don't worry, God will fix that. Don't look at it. Don't notice it. He's not saying don't see it. He's not saying, yeah, see it, but just ignore it. He's saying see it. But in all of that, you need to trust that the Lord is perfecting his bride and every member of his bride. Take heart. He is perfecting your spouse. Take heart. Take trust. He is perfecting your brother or sister in Christ. Take joy amidst the undeniable difficulty and effects of the fall. Take joy. The Lord will finish his work. Let's keep going. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul said earlier, when I think of you, I pray for you with great joy. And here is his prayer. Here is what he's praying in that cell for the people of Philippi. (laughs) He says, I pray that your love for God and your love for one another will grow into a mature, knowledgeable, wise, insightful, and discerning love 
so that you will be able to see and approve the things that are truly good and excellent in this world. With such abounding and discerning love, you will be holy, you will be fruitful for the day of Christ's return, bearing a rich harvest of God's work that brings him glory and praise. Sojourn, a knowledgeable and discerning love is what's necessary for us to be a resilient, joy-filled, fruitful community in the midst of suffering and cultural opposition. By the abounding love of Christ, we, his saints, God has destined us to grow as kings and queens in the land that are able to discern what is most lovely, what is honorable, what is true, what is just, what is commendable, what is pure. These are the very things that Paul will call excellent later in his letter. Our world is confused over what is truly excellent, what is truly pure what is truly lovely. Scan the horizon, we see it everywhere. Our world is very confused. And our world needs to know, they need to see what is truly fruitful, what is truly excellent and good. And as we pursue and embody the things that we have talked about this morning, as a community of saints, the fruit the Lord bears in us will be a harvest that feeds the world. Because the truly excellent and good things that we approve of, we not only embody them and, and consume them, we also, they are things that, that, that land on our very table. They become food to give to the world. Forgiveness and patience and kindness, goodness and truth. God's word, these things are good food for the world. These things are good food for our neighbors. They're good food for us. And in all of that, what we are hoping for is that the world will see and know the most excellent one, King Jesus. Now, how will we do this? Let's do a very short review. We will do that by delighting in the grace and peace of God the Father and God the Son. Oh, let us cherish the peace and grace of Christ in this gathering and outside this gathering. The peace and grace of Christ is yours. It, it is ours. It is a gift from Him. Gosh, delighting in that makes us a distinct community when we can endure suffering with joy. We also do it by cultivating a spirit-born delight in one another as fellow saints, sharing in the affection and joy and gratitude and love with one another, the kind of love that Paul describes here. We do it by trusting God's promise to complete every work he begins Gosh, if that doesn't make us a patient and resilient community. Oh, but he promised that he would complete the work, so I don't have to worry. 
those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. In other words, those who wait on the Lord will never regret it. If we wait on people, if we wait on our spouse, if we wait on the person, we're waiting on the wrong one, and we will regret it. We will never regret waiting on the Lord. And finally, we do it by pursuing an abounding, knowledgeable, and discerning love. We love people in spirit and in truth and in good deeds and in good words. We have love and it is matured through wisdom and knowledge and discernment by God's word, by his spirit. That will make us a resilient, joy-filled community in the midst of a world and for a world that needs to know. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, as, as these manifest, as these things manifest in our shared life together, it will be a recipe for resilient joy lived in spirit fruitfulness to the glory and praise of our God. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for this book of Philippians, this letter from Paul to the church. Lord, would you make us these kinds of people who are growing and maturing in their love to such an extent that they know, that we know what is lovely, what is true, what is right, what is good, what is better, what is best, what is not good, what is dark, what is light, what is kind, what is evil, Lord, that we would be those kinds of people, that we would be the kind of people that share the grace and peace of Christ with delight, that we would be the kind of people that delight in one another as fellow saints, that we would be the kind of people that trust you to complete every work that you begin. God, please help us. We need you. We cannot do this work on our own. We need you every moment, every step of the way. But we are so grateful that you've given us all that is necessary for to live, to live, and to live a life and lives that are pleasing to you and that are really, really good for the world, that bring resurrection life to the world. Lord, help us. Help us, we pray. We ask it in your name. Amen.